Hey, this is John Oliva, and you are tuned in to Focus on Metal, so focus deeply. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and as Joan Oliva said, I hope you guys are focusing on your metal deeply. So I hope everyone out there had a great metal week last week, and uh, hopefully also thoroughly enjoyed part one of our James Kotak career retrospective. On the agenda, of course, this week is the continuation of that, so yet another hour of solid Kotak attack. So just to touch on something really quick, I did get some feedback on some of the overall audio quality from uh, last week's show. Do apologize for that. Did as much as possible to bring that up to the uh, usual standards, but when you've got uh, cell phone and cell phone communication, it's always a problem. In fact, at the very beginning, you guys didn't really hear it because I edited it out, but they were really having an issue with trying to dial in exactly, you know, exactly where James was going to stand the whole time, basically, to uh, to do this. So imagine that, right? That that that's that's the kind of nice guy that James Kotak is. That he essentially stood in the same place within reason for like two hours just to talk to Richie all about his career. If that doesn't say something about the guy, I I don't know. I don't know what does. So at the end of last week's show, we had worked our way up to 1999, and James was talking about the eye-to-eye release with the Scorpions. So I guess that is a good place as any to pick it up this week. But uh, also I got a little bit of feedback about the fact that uh, even though James talked a little bit about The Warrant and the Ultraphobic album, that uh, I didn't actually play any kind of a track off of there. And I guess people or just, you know, some big Warren fans out there. And I know that Ultraphobic does have a certain uh, amount of its own fans out there. So uh, I thought I'll start the uh, the show off this week by rectifying that wrong and playing a track off of Ultraphobic. Kind of interesting, that album, too, when you think about it, because it's like three-fifths Warrant and two-fifths Kingdom Come Wild Horses with both James and Rick Steer being in there. And I figured that... Um, as long as I'm going to play a track off of Ultraphobic to kick off the James Kotak episode number two, I might as well play one that has a has a writing credit for him on there. It's actually the first single they put off of the album as well. So going to play us a little bit of a Family Picnic off of the Ultraphobic album. And from there, we're going to slide right back in as Richie continues and picks up at 1999 with his talk with James Kotak. They recorded that now. That must have been a difficult album for you to do. I'm sorry, it must have been a what? It must have been a difficult album for you to do. 
Well, number one, I was like, well, here's my first real album with the Scorpions, and we're recording, we're not playing, uh, you don't want to like me type songs, or we're not playing Big City Night for Last Night. Okay, these songs are kind of like in that field, and uh, I, it was a big challenge, but you know, the producer was, was for, his, for all that he was and his role in this, he gave me excellent guidance, and uh, a lot of times the guys weren't around, you know, so uh, they'd go home because we were in Austria, which is right next to Germany. And I did a lot of the recording when we were around, just me and the producer and the engineer. Yeah. Do you, do you think a lot of the band at the time needed convincing about the direction that album went in, or were they all on board in, from the beginning? No, again, at the time, the, the mindset was um, that, oh, we got to do something different to compete with these all these 90s bands like Match Five Twenty and that one and everybody else and whoever was was you know killing it because Hard Rock was not killing it definitely not. Um, so you know you just kind of like did what you wanted to do. From day one, I I, I said I don't think we should get this producer. I was pushing for the I can't think of his name now, but he did the Ozzy Osbourne uh, No More Tears album. And I was pushing for him. I can't remember his name. Dang it. Um, things happen, and you know they're going to do what they're going to do, and that's that. Yeah, and after after that album, the band did uh, the with the, the the orchestra, and they did acoustic. So they didn't even do a straight ahead rock album after that. No, again, the climate was funny then, and uh, we we did a Hurricane 2000 with Berlin Tour Harmonic in 2000, obviously, and then we did Acoustica which we took a bunch of Scorpion songs and turned them upside down acoustically. And then we did some covers. And that was actually a real challenge for me, and I really enjoyed it. And then it wasn't until 2004 we got back on track with Hard Rock. I said, look, you know, get back to the roots. And that's when we did, uh, um, I think, what's the name of that album? Unbreakable. Unbreakable! <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, I love that album. I love that album. Yeah, so you did you did a solo album in uh, in between around the time of Unbreakable. How come you took so long to to do something like that? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't call it a solo album because it's actually a band. Uh, um, I was around ninety six or, or in my time off between White and uh, uh, Scorpions. I was home playing guitar a lot, and I was really influenced by a Green Day Dookie. That album came out and turned my left ear upside down, and I was like, oh, this is great. And so I started writing a bunch of songs like that, and on guitar, because, I mean, I suck on guitar, so I look cool. <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, man, you should make a band. And I'm like, oh, yeah? I go, well, who am I going to get, you know? I mean, I could, she, goes, she goes, well, why don't you just sing and play guitar? I go, because I can't play guitar. And but uh, she kind of talked me into it. I go, well, I'll get Rick Stein to play guitar, and I'll pretend I'm playing guitar. And then it was like, it only made sense that she plays drums. And we called the band Crunk. And the Crunk name came from, it was a word we used to use because we didn't want to cuss around the band. So we'd say, oh, Crunk, and Crunk off. What the Crunk? <laughs> and um, that's how that album came about. I think it was 99 that came out. And it was called Crunk, and then, of course I called the first album Greatest Hits, whatever it is, <laughs> I don't know. But it was all meant to be fun, you know, I, I, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go make a million dollars. It was a passion project. So we did the first album, and then we did the second album, Therapy. And in between, you know, we went to Japan, we went to Europe, we uh, toured around the uh, rest of the Rockies here in America. And then I went on to do Rock and Roll Forever, the third album, and Kotak Attack, the fifth, the, the fourth album, the fifth. Why don't we forever restore and contact attack the fourth?
And uh, I had a, a European label, and uh, we went back to Europe a few more times, and uh, we toured up until 2012. And uh, then, Scorpion, we got so busy with our farewell tour of 2010, whatever. So just now, I'm coming to do Kotak Kotak album. Nice, nice. Um, I'll, I'll ask you a little bit more about that, James, um, in a few sure, minutes. I want to go back to the Unbreakable record because you have a few songwriting credits on this, more than you had on Eye to Eye. Were, were the band right. open to what your ideas bringing them in, or were they, did you think they were a little bit too left field for Scorpions? Well, no, well, that was one of the things. Uh, a lot of the stuff I write was more a little quickly popping like cheap chips each green day on a bad day. But I, when I knew that Unbreakable album was coming, I started writing what you would call, I guess, Scorpion songs. And I wrote, uh, I must have written about 25, 30. I carried a four-track with me all over the place. And uh, actually, Rudolph gave me this, this suitcase that had a four-track drum machine built in it, which was totally cool. You know, it, it, I mean, think about it. Right now, I mean, Unbreakable was, at the time, maybe the band's 13th studio album. And, you know, these guys have written and written and written. And But I saw my opportunity to get in there. And uh, I wrote Some Days Now. And, uh, gosh, what's the name of the other ones? I don't this, know. This time? Yeah. Can you feel it? <laughs> this can time? you feel it? Yeah. This time? Or not? No. There's a song towards uh, the end of it. I can't think of the name of it. <laughs> you know. Gosh. Uh, but you know what? Uh, just think about it. You're writing lyrics for class minor. You're not writing... I mean, this is like... I'm like going, okay. So I have the voice in my head. And I'm writing... I'm thinking, how class is that? And da-da-da-da-da. And how is real going to play this? And it actually worked. And uh, so two songs I wrote almost 100%. Well, one time I wrote 100%, and, uh, you know, Klaus had a few licks, and, um, but that album was, like, really kicked my ass, man. We, uh, really went nuts on that. So, it was like, that was, like, a, a real wonderful time for me. <laughs> that, that album was very well received when it came out, especially by old-school Scorpion fans. Yeah, and that was a real turning point. I remember we went, uh, we, we played, uh, some theater over on Europe just for promotion and stuff. And man, just the reception was great. Like, oh, wow, Scorpions are back. But also the, the rock and roll climate in the world had changed a bit, too. People were like, grunge was all but gone. And, it, you know, Kiss was touring nonstop and starting to sell out again. And, uh, you know, I think they're just kind of like, you know, there, there was a change in the air back to classic hard rock. And, um, so it was good for Scorpions, and we, uh, I think it worked at the time. And, uh, you know, the next 15 or, or the next 13 years would just be unbelievable. I came on around the world just to be with you. Yeah, now one of the tours, um, I don't think I'm getting the bands mixed up, but he said that around 2003, 2004, it was Deep Purple, 
Scorpions and Dio. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Can you believe it? Dio played first. They did like a 50-minute set. Then Deep Purple, then Scorpions. We had so much fun on that tour. And uh, actually, prior before that, back in the uh, in, uh, late 80s, or, I'm sorry, in, uh, gosh, around May 8th, uh, Vinny Apathy, the drummer for Dio, got sick and actually filled in and did like 10 shows with Dio in this video of it. I was like, oh my God. Years earlier, like at Vinny's house at a barbecue, and Roddy told those guys, what you mean, your friends forever? You know, and uh, that was just a wonderful, wonderful tour. And uh, what year was that? It was the summer of. Uh, I think it was 03. Yeah, that sounds about right. And Deep Purple, oh my God, I grew up playing Smoke on the Water and, uh, you know, not women for Tokyo and all that stuff. It's just like, wow. <laughs> That's a tour I would have loved to have seen. I know, because but what did I tell you about the business at the time? Neo, Deep Purple, and Scorpions, all in the same bill. Wow. I mean, gosh. <laughs> I was living in the wrong country. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, that was America at the time, you know? And, uh, wow. Yeah. So the the next album I want to talk about is uh, the Humanity R1 record. Um, now, I absolutely love this record, but a lot of people think that it's got Desmond Child's fingerprints all over it. Is that true? Um, you know, it's funny. We all had songs. We went, uh, Rudolph Cross with you, uh, and we all had a bunch of songs. And we all had all of our songs together. And one day we all met at a rehearsal place down in Hollywood. And we were to meet, this is the first day we're meeting Desmond, his co-producer, James Michael, who's the singer for 6 a.m. and a producer and an excellent songwriter. Another, uh, Marty uh, Fredrickson, who co-wrote a bunch of Aerosmith songs and blah, blah, blah. And uh, another, Jonathan, it was five total on Justin's team. So we went in and we're playing our songs on TVs and we're kicking them around. Blah, blah. And so we stop and then Justin goes, guys, let me play you some songs. So they had prepared a, an acoustic version of about 16 songs. And we sat there for the next hour, hour and a half, and I listened to these songs and they just floored. And we were like, wow, we didn't see this coming, and they didn't tell us in advance. And so the next step was, I mean, you know, reworking all these songs. And some of the songs that Klaus and Rudolph had written, and... Uh, and that's what became the album. And but, but undeniably, the songs that Desmond and James Michael and et cetera brought in were just great, great songs. And you're sitting there going, well, what do we do there? And that's what happened, man. In addition, some of the songs from Coffee and Rudolph were remade and, and reworked and, and whatever. And it was just, it turned into be like a concept album. Uh, you know, it's the end of the world, right? That kind of a thing. Yeah. And, uh, but it was an interesting process. And we... There was, uh, you know, the vocals going on down in the village in Santa Monica. There was guitar going on over in Burbank. There was guitar going on over here. I did the drumming with James Michael in his studio. Uh, and then I did a book in uh, over another play. It was like madness. Well, I, I think it's an excellent album, and uh, it is what it is. Yeah, the, the, the guys in the Scorpions seem to be a band that doesn't have a problem bringing in outside songwriters. Like a lot of other groups, they resist it, but like Rudolph and Klaus and Matthias seem to be pretty open to that. Well, you know what? I, I, again, you can, you can write and write and write, but how many like you like a hurricane or no one like you or uh, still loving you do you really have or will it change? You know, and, and it's, there are very few who can, uh, can continually recreate and create great new music. And, and the Scorpions have. Rudolph and Klaus and, uh, you know, are like songwriting machines. And, uh, but sometimes you need outside influence or you need someone to, to come in and, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I mean, you know, everybody does it. Kiss, Aerosmith, you have to. It's just like having a great movie director or a great producer. And the producer comes in with ideas that you would never think of. But you also have to be open-minded to go down that road. And, 
I've been fortunate to work with so many incredible producers over the years. I just keep my ears open and pay attention and listen because once your ears are closed, you're screwed. And that can be the death of your band. Yeah. Now, I, I want to move on to uh, Sting in the Tail. another album that I like, but some of those songs are old, and you, you probably heard them over the years. Right, well, you know what, that was very interesting. The, uh, at the time, uh, again, this is after Humanity, we had a little time off, and again, it was about getting back to the roots, because Unbreakable got us going, and then Humanity came with kind of a left curve, and then Sting the Tail, we hooked up with uh, Michael and Martin, these two Swedish producers. And they said, Rudolph Klaus, go to your tapes and pull out your songs you always wanted to record, which they did, and the TS as well. And they took, sat down, reworked the songs, and took these ideas and brought them and made it back to... Uh, the Scorpion's traditional hard rock sound. That's what producers do. They don't write all this stuff. These guys didn't write everything. Rudolph and Klaus Matias wrote most 90% of everything. They just took it and worked it and made it. Because you lose your direction. You're like, oh, well, what is the Scorpion sound anymore? Well, the Scorpion sound, the, the Michael Lawrence got, got the band back to their sound. Yeah. And, and of course, the big thing about that album when it came out was. The, the, the supposedly the, the farewell tour. <laughs> well, that was a whole other thing. It was like, okay, here's our final statement, our final period or explanation point on the end of this, and blah, 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 blah. And honestly, it really was. David started out and came in and said, you know, guys, you know, we've been doing this so long, and, you know, we missed all kinds of birthdays and anniversaries and, and graduations, and it's kind of just kind of like, hey, we're done. As it went on, though, you know, you see all the love and the support and all the people coming out. And, you know, and I remember the day, uh, it was February of 2012, because at that point, um, I had already resurrected uh, Kingdom Come, me and Lenny. We, we got together here in L.A., the, the original five. I worked on at Project Rockwell with Terry Kelly and Rudy Sarzo mm-hmm. and Tim uh, and, uh, River Owens, uh, Teddy Zigzag and me, and um, I was also resurrected my band. I was, uh, was going to go do another Kotak album, and one day the phone rang, and it's Klaus. And I'll go, hey, Klaus, what's up? You see, James, you know, uh, I wanted to talk to you. I'm like, oh, wow, this sounds serious. He goes, uh, you know, um, I think we've decided we're going to continue on. I go, what? 
<laughs> and uh, I didn't work. I mean, you know, you don't just say, okay, I have a new band. I'm going to take uh, and go do the team and country union. I talked to agents. We had gigs. We had offers for shows. Uh, for 2013, I'm like, oh, what? So I had to put on the brakes. And my decision to, and he goes, yeah, if you could not play, you know, with other bands, that'd be great because we're going to continue. We're going to make another album. We're going, wow. So my decision affected three different projects I had and about 20 plus people, which I didn't, I had to break the news to all these people. I said, hey, I, so we went on for another few years. And, um, I mean, great. Yeah. I love Scorpions. I love the guys, but, uh, wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> James, the cynical person would say that he used the farewell tour to ruse people into buying tickets. Yeah, but that wasn't the case, man. Uh, we've been filming the, the entire time from the beginning of the 2010 uh, Sting and the Tail tour. We've been filming for a, for a documentary, so to speak, a retrospective of the entire Scorpion career. And it was to document the final days. And they filmed this over a two-year period. They, they followed, came to Russia. They came to France. They came everywhere in the States. They filmed this film. They filmed like 300 plus hours. There's 300 plus hours of material, I think. And uh, it really was. And if you watch the movie, uh, there, you know, there is an actual movie, which we can release, called Forever and a Day. You see the progression. And it's like all and everything period in the movie. And then about three quarters of the way through, it's like going, well, things have changed. We decided maybe to not uh, retire after all. Or finish. Yeah. And when you see the movie, it all makes sense. And speaking of Forever and a Day, that was like our fourth attempt at making a uh, documentary or a rock and roll movie. We uh, originally filmed like 2001, the entire Russian living tour. We were the first band to tour all of Russia. It was over six weeks. It was like, uh, hell. That, I mean, it was like unbelievable. And they, another uh, videography company came out with us and tried to film. It was never right. But they got right. This, this girl Katya, the producer, director, I don't know what you call her. She came out and she got it right, man. And she, the sense of humor, the camaraderie, the band, the spirit of it all. And if you can ever see this movie, it's great. I saw it in the theater and I uh, watched it. It's just wonderful. But anyway, it was never like planned that way. It just it just evolved. And uh, so whenever I think this, you know, Scorpions are those big as they say, yeah, you, because it's definitely not like that. It's about passion for the music and rock and roll and demand for shows. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It really is. And, you know, I mean, think about Ozzy retired on the No More Tears tour. He called it No More Tours. He retired back then. Kiss did it. You know, gosh. <laughs> yeah, no. But... Now, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. sorry. Oh, sorry. The two albums I just want to touch on quickly. Um, the Comeback album, that seemed to be a lot. That must have been a lot of fun to record that one. Yeah, actually, it really was for myself, anyway. Um, and that was kind of something that was, that, that, uh, you know, like, Rudolph loves the kinks. And that was his biggest influence. And we... Uh, and, and Klaus loves the Beatles, and there's these songs and the songs, and it was just kind of like a like, hey man, you know what? Let's do this and and have some fun with it. And we got, and plus for myself, I got to re-record like No One Like You, Lucky Like a Hurricane, Big City Nights, Still Loving You. I got to actually play on those versions as a studio. And you know what? They gave me carte blanche. I recorded it. I was in the United States. They just sent the tracks over. I went to the studio and did it all on my own, sent it to them, and they didn't change a thing.
Briefly, the, the Unplugged Live in Athens album, Klaus's vocals on that is amazing. You know, when you're Klaus, and, uh, you know, he's not 46 anymore, don't tell you what, man. You're naked. When you're doing acoustics, any type of acoustic, anything, you're naked out there as a vocalist. And man, he pulled off, I, I, I don't know how many songs, there's 21 songs, plus duets, plus you're talking to the audience. Plus, you're leading the entire thing. Plus, you're this, that, 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 that. Amazing. That was an incredible experience. We recorded three nights in Athens. And, uh, I mean, just for myself, it was, it was very heavy. The first night, um, I was, like, like so into the, the music and, and reading, looking at my charts and, like, oh, my God, I remember that. I can't imagine what it's like to pop, you know? That was incredible. Yeah. And uh, I remember the producer that like, came to me and goes, hey, man, can you, can you, you know, look towards more towards the front, towards the camera? I go, well, I'd like to, but I'm focusing on the music. <laughs> and uh, but that was that was an incredible night. Plus, I love bass, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the last Scorpions album you played on is uh, Return to Forever. I, I'm going to be yeah. honest. With, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a massive fan of that because of the way it sounds. Um, I don't think the guitars are as heavy as they were on the previous ones, but that's just me. Well, you know, uh, every album has its own own personality and its own character, and, and that's right and wrong. You know, you, you know, not every album is to be liked by everybody, and some people... Man, there's people come up to me and say, Man, I, I, it's my favorite album. I'm like, oh, really? What, what drug are you on? <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it depends. I mean... I appreciate your honesty. I mean, I like it. There's some songs in there I really, really like. And there's a few songs that I'm not crazy about. But every album is like that with me. And uh, and uh, sometimes I'll go back or I'll hear a track and, and I go, what were we thinking? 
you know. And uh, but for the most part, I'm proud of all of it. Uh, yeah. So, so, so who in who in the Scorpions do you think you're the closest to? You're the closest person, uh, like as far as friends and all yeah. that. Yeah. Is the one guy you always got on well with? Uh, you know, Rudolph is my mentor. Rudolph, I always called him Papa. <laughs> I nicknamed him Papa Freak years ago, and uh, let's say if we were out of the club and if, if there a time came and we we were, had a few drinks too many and he would start to dance and he'd do this dance I don't know how to I can't show you on the on the phone and and I dubbed it the Papa Freak the Papa Freak dance and we call it call it yeah Papa Freak and everybody has a nickname and you know, I call him the Kid Slasher and Klaus is little you Klausy you know and uh, um yeah you know I I, I just get all, got on with everybody you know and uh but Rudolph, I have to say, was just, uh, you know, he just, I admire him. I follow his needs. He's disciplined. He's, he's rock and roll. He's, if you look up rock stuff, oh, sorry, cat. <laughs> oh, my God, Bean just ran into my knee. If you look up rock star in the dictionary, there's Rudolph's photo is there. He lives, he reads rock and roll, and he's just the best. And um, if I could sing, if I, I mean, I do sing, you know, obviously. I've been so, so thrilled all, all these years. I've been all the harmonies with Klaus, and uh, that's a tall order. I mean, if I could sing, I'd sing like Klaus. He's just got a, uh, a voice from heaven. He's the, he's the quintessential rock singer. He sings, he can sing ballads, he can sing, you know, hard stuff. And the kid's just an ultimate guitarist, man. He's a lead guitarist. He looks great. He plays great. And he smiles when he's playing. Go figure that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm just fortunate to have been part of it. And I still am part of it, you know? Yeah. Now, James, i gotta, I got to ask you. Um, me as a fan, right, after the incident in Dubai, where you had to go to jail, um, I was so kind of surprised that they didn't get rid of you then, to be honest, because they had ample reason to. Well, you know, that's the, guy, the guys the kind of guys they are. Um, I came back. Um, I came back from Dubai. I had a little leave of absence. There were there were hardly no shows that year. I think it was 2014. Yeah. 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 And um, I came home and enrolled into an outpatient uh, rehab, where basically you go from ten to two, three days a week, and you participate and get my ass together for AA meetings. And you know what? It was kind of like a, a tri- uh, on a trial basis, like a month-to-month basis. That, that happened in April. I came home in May. And it wasn't until September that I met with the guys. I flew over to Germany and we met for a weekend. Yeah, I had dinner and just reconnected. It was a tough time. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And they were not sure, you know, but they said, okay, cool. And then I came back that December. And this is, and man, it's super emotional. It was in Brussels. And, uh, I, you know, that's the kind of guys they are. However, you know, you move forward 2015, no incident. But there was still no incident. But I have to tell you, I was really, honestly, really burnt out. Um, I had been burnt out for a while, ever since Sting in the Tail. It's hard to explain, but man, Ryder was so wonderful, but it's also, it's bittersweet. And after 35 years, it just, Touring and touring and touring and you know and uh, I it, you know it caught up with me and uh, drummers if you never know the turnover of drummers is pretty high yeah. and it, uh, it's physical I have some uh, chronic pain issues with my right foot which of course my bass drum foot arthritis and my left hand and my wrist and my neck and you know I don't want to tell them about it so I would have a few drinks and that would make the pain go away. Well, after a while, if you drinks turns in a few more, et cetera, then I would take a leave. Just like a baseball player, you know, I'd really prepare myself. I'd ice myself when I got back to the hotel, hot baths, this, and it just, it just went on. And then some psychological problems, you have a divorce, you have a this, you have this guy. You know, we're not 25 anymore. However, in my head, I think I'm 26, and I can, I'm Superman. <laughs> so, um... You know, they, they, you know, were, were very supportive and, and the best friends you could possibly have. And uh, then to April 2016, we were on tour in Europe and Klaus lost his voice. 
uh, unfortunately, man. And just a really hard tour. So we had to cancel, like, I think the last eight shows. And then there were some other ones we lost. off. And at that time, you know, it was kind of decided to, I, I wasn't drinking every day. It was just occasional. But occasional doesn't work. And I agreed with them that I was not going to be drinking. And I did. And, uh, you know, they, said, uh, they, they knew. And uh, they said, you know what? Well, I, tell them, why don't you, like, take a break? So the, our agent uh, suggested I go down to uh, Crossroads down in Antigua, uh, which is Eric Clapton's Crossroads in Antigua. And it's beautiful down there. So I said, sure, you know what? I'll go down for 30 days. You know, I, I sobered up for about a week. I wasn't, like, sitting around with a bottle of vodka in my hand. I was just casually drinking too much. <laughs> and uh, so I went down, and it was wonderful. And then they said, well, you know what? We still got, like, a, another month and a half off, you know? And, and I said, you know what, guys? I think I'm going to stay another two weeks. And then another two weeks. And then another two weeks. I ended up staying 90 days. But during this time, the band has to go on. So they said, they, you know, we talked on the phone, and they said, look, we got to do these shows. Uh, we asked Mickey to come in, you know, Mickey B from Motorhead. And I go, like, oh, cool, you know? I mean, I go, guys, I'm loving it down here. I'm getting my ass together, and my health is more important. And that's what happened. Then I came home in July, and you're following me here, yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I came home in July, and I came back home, but I, I, I you know, I ended up, uh, when I came home, Athena picked me up from the airport. We've been divorced now for three years or so, but we've been together off and on. And, uh, I came here and I, I came home and did 90 meetings and 90 days and I talked to the band a couple of times and then they were going to South America and uh, to do like eight shows and I go, no, I don't want to do that. Then um, it, it was kind of mutual at that point. Then around the end of October, we had, we had well, we had another conference call, then another, and this last conference call, I was like, oh, you know what, we only have a few shows left. Let's, uh, you know, Mickey's going to finish him out. But, you know, it looks like, you know, we're kind of done. And, uh, and it was just kind of, a, I, I said, look, man, you know, it's kind of a mutual decision here. And I just kind of, uh, you know, between them saying, hey, well, it was like an elephant in the room. Okay, guys, I understand, you know. So rather than being all bummed out, I was like, really, I should kind of leave in a funny sort of a way. It's hard to explain. And I just... Took the time from July of uh, 2016 up until now. I've just been focusing on James and making James healthy and doing the things I'm supposed to do. You know, exercising, doing this and showing up on time and doing blah, 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 blah. Also, I mean, along the way, I would just lost the passion. You know, and that passion is what drives you to play rock and roll. Yeah. You know, and, and, and man, when you lose the passion, you lose a lot. And, you know, I don't put it all in jiggy. Just, your people change. I'm thinking, you know, I'm 54. I'm, you know, and I've achieved so much and been so fortunate. And I've had a way for 21 years. <laughs> it's, it's interesting what, what you're talking about that now. But when I talked to Doug Aldridge a couple of weeks ago, he said that you know, all the touring, he just he had to take a break. He said he had to go home and get grounded and spend time with the family. Commander, I'll tell you what, Athena was great um, at grounding me. I'd come home, she goes, okay, take the trash out. <laughs> you know, whatever, she, she had not any punches. But, uh, yeah, man, dude, at some point, I hit the wall a few years ago, and I didn't even know, realize I'd done it. I'm just, like, going through the motions. You know, I'm traveling from L.A. over to Europe, meeting the guys here, meeting the guys there, and just constantly jet-lagged, constantly tired, constantly this, that, 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 that. I don't want to sound like a whiny rock star, but, man, it really does catch up with you after a while. And and I'm not complaining. I'm grateful and thankful. But, man, I needed this break worse than ever. And, you know, uh, and, and um, I'm just... I'm just Thankful, and you know, one thing Klaus said to me, which really hit home uh, a while back, but I was kind of going through this. And he goes, James, you know, there's sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night wondering what's going on with you. By the next day, I was wondering if you would even come out of your hotel room alive. And when I heard that, my heart sunk. But that's a true friend, yeah. You know, and and a couple times over here in LA. Uh, 
they, they have a, a mutual German friend who, who's my friend for 30 years. You know, they sent him over on the day I had to leave. I didn't know this till later to make sure that I was up and on time for the limo. And uh, the limo job would pull up sometimes, I wouldn't come out. I mean, I just was asleep. I was a drunk. I just didn't want to, I mean, I was almost like depressed. So, you know, I got through a lot of that stuff, man. And thank God the therapist and counseling and AA and all that stuff. It works. Yeah. And I'm a better person for it, dude. Yeah. And I have nothing to hide. I'm not going to tell you what to do, Richie, or tell this one what to do. Go, oh, you shouldn't drink. Screw that. Drink yeah. your ass off. Do whatever you want. Uh-huh. It, just doesn't, it just doesn't work anymore. How much of the lifestyle do you think is the, the image thing where it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and you think you have to live up to that in a way? I never felt like that. And, and you know, my situation, like with Dubai, there was nothing cool or rock and roll or glamorous about that. There was a huge misunderstanding, and, you know, there was, there was nothing cool about it, man. You know, I, I effed up. And uh, I was rude to the wrong person at the wrong time, and I got called out on it, you know? And um, uh, there's nothing cool about, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, you know, when you're 25 and you have no responsibilities. But, uh, you know, you you evolve. You grow up. You know, like like I said, I'm 26 in my mind. My body is 54, and uh, I have to take care of it. And you know, be responsible, you know. Yeah. And move forward. Yeah. You know. So speak- I'm not a loser. I'm just a guy that you know. I I have the gene. I have the have the alcoholic gene. My, my entire family, my father, my brother, my other brother. I mean, everybody. We have it. And yeah. you either deal with it, and 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 you know, take care of it, and acknowledge it, and work it, or you die. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Do you know what I spoke? I spoke to. Uh, Probably about six weeks ago, was uh, Dean Castronovo. Sure oh, my that. God. Yeah, I was just going to bring him up, but I didn't want to say his name because of an- anonymity, because he and I are Twitter friends, and we talk all the time. I love Dean. Yeah, he's seen... Perfect great. example. Yeah, he's in a good place now by the sounds of it, which is great. You know what's so funny is August, I think, uh, 2014, when I was having my t- t- first time off away from Scorpion, I went down to see Journey uh, here in L.A., and, I, you know, with the purpose, the whole reason I went was to visit with him one-on-one. He was excusing him. He was sober. And we had our little powwow uh, before the show or after the show, whatever. And um, and we were just talking about, oh, so how great to be sober. Then he relapsed and went down a, a terrible road again, you know. Yeah. And But there's always light at the end of the tunnel. You can always come out of it, you know. And, and uh he and I stay in, constant, in, in contact constantly. He's a sweet guy. Wow. He can kick my ass on drums. That guy's great. And he sings. Yeah. He's very good. He's a great. <laughs> yeah, man. The Re- Revolution Saints, man. The new album. I heard a track. I was like, yeah. It's great. I know. Yeah. So speaking of moving forward, James, what's the future hold for you? You're getting the band back together? We're putting the band back together. Forget it. No way. We're on a mission from God. <laughs> That sounds funny. Well, actually, you know what? As of last April, May, I, I was like, oh, man, I got to do something, you know. I'm coming up July will be a year. Um, we kind of like, you know, I've been riding my bike and kind of doing this and swimming and healthy living and eating good. And and I, I go, man, I want to do a Kotak album. And I told, but I just couldn't get it up, man. I just didn't have the, the, the passion. Come August, this past August, Late August, early September, one day I woke up and said, oh, my God, I'm going to make an album. I'm getting antsy now because I haven't been on the road. But it's been awesome because I'm home with my kids. They're all adults, 27, 24, or 27, 24, 20. And I had tons of time with them. And uh, I just woke up and said, I started thinking about all these songs. And I made a song list of songs I've been wanting to do, so I have song list of like 35 songs. I'm trying to chisel it down to 20 and we're going through demos. So, we're going to do a pledge music campaign for Kotak uh, album. Nice. And if you're not familiar with pledge music, it's like Kickstarter or GoFundMe, only it's uh, on a hyperactive, uh, like 6 a.m. is on there. Uh, Nikki's band, um, you know, 
everybody from Corn to Smashing Pumpkins, Dolly Parton to Melissa Etheridge, everybody and their brother is on such music. And when you you offer different levels of participation financially from whoever, like say you want to you want to get the album as a download, and you want a T-shirt, you want some drumsticks, you know, fifty bucks. Uh, you want uh, whatever, yeah, as low as $20. And we're just getting ready to launch it and with the help of a great management company. And I'm partnered with a studio for like seven years and we're going to do it at that studio. And yes, there'll be a, a new contact album coming along, hopefully in spring, yeah. if not later. Now, I want to ask you a little bit, just for a minute, about Lenny Wolf, because he's put Kingdom Come to bed. Was, would that have been one of the things you would have liked to revisit recently? How many of you would say that? Well, you know, I, you know what, Richie? I contacted Lenny just a few weeks ago for one last time because I love Kingdom Come's first and second album. He had some great material after that. And I hope, because in uh, 2018, that'll be our 30th anniversary of the debut of our first album. And I would hope we could draw and play some shows. The original five, no substitutes, Lenny, Johnny, Danny, Rick, and me. And we could go out and play continue come shows and celebrate the 30-year anniversary of this album. Because I, I think it was a great album that made its mark. And, of course, play material for the second album. So I'm trying to talk money into it, and I've talked to some agents, and there's a possibility of that. So between that and Kotak, the main reason I want to go back to Kotak to do a Kotak album is to tour it. Because, face it, look, I'm not going to sell a million albums. I'm going to sell some albums with the dog just to have material to go out and tour with Kotak. And then with King and Come, maybe there's a re-release in order. And I would love to play that material again. I do love that music. You know, true that was definitely comparison stuff. It's there, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. So... Maybe something will happen with that. Maybe if enough people got online and say, hey, Tina, come get your ass out there, maybe something will happen. Okay. i got to leave you go, Jim, so I'll talk to you, okay? Hey, Richie, thank you so much for your time. Call no back problem. if you want to do any follow-up, and uh, thank you very much, All right. Dude. All right. Bye. 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 Metalheads figured I would close it out with a cut off of uh, the last Scorps album that uh, James was on. That would be the uh, Return to Forever album, and that one is called The Scratch. And uh, way back when, I actually remember talking to James about that song, as well as uh, Rock My Car and a few other ones on there, the first time that we had James on the show. So that's it. Uh, two solid weeks of Kotak Attack here on Focus on Metal as we stream towards the close of Metal Month 2017. One week left to go. And right now, I'm not really sure what we're doing for that final week of Metal Month, but uh, I guess when that week comes up, we'll both find out. So if you want to find out more about James Kotak, or maybe even get yourself some James Kotak merch, then you can go to jameskotak.com and you can also hit him up on Twitter at twitter.com slash jkotak. And of course, as always, like everybody else, he's also on Facebook. And again, a big thanks to James for taking uh, 
several hours to stand in essentially one spot and do a whole entire career retrospective with Richie. All of us here at Focus on Metal really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, also before I get out of here for the week, just want to uh, throw this out because you just never know. And that is, of course, that we know that uh, Judas Priest is going on their Firepower tour next year, promoting their brand new album, Firepower, which I believe is due in January. And if that wasn't enough, if you haven't heard already, they're taking out the mighty Saxon as well as our buddies in Black Star Riders. So a pretty extensive touring schedule for uh, for BSR going with that tour, which is great. Gives them guys a lot of exposure. It would make it worth, well worth any metalhead's time to get there early and catch all three bands. So I think that's really cool. Pretty awesome bill. Pretty varied. And should be a good night of hard rock and metal. But uh, what I'm bringing this up for is that I know they've been adding on dates little by little to the tour. In fact, I just managed to get some really nice seats to an add-on show that basically was added, I think, on a Tuesday. Tickets went on sale on a on Friday morning, and essentially all the good stuff was already gone probably within the first hour, hour and a half. So uh, definitely go to uh, JudasPriest.com every so often and just keep track of what's going on with that tour because you never know when they're going to add some other great dates. It might be something even closer to you. So just wanted to throw that out there because, like I said, how often are you going to see the Mighty Priest and then Saxon and BSR all in one night? Come on, forget about it. So uh, that's it for this week. As always, you can keep up with us at our main website, focusonmetal.net. And you can go up there, you go to the episodes page, and you can find all the episodes going way back to the beginning. And you can see all the folks we've had on. And for a good chunk of those, there's also nice streaming links you can download or stream the episode. And uh, if there's one that's up there you see and you're really interested in, it's not there. There's no link for it. You can always shoot an email to Richie or me at shout at focusonmetal.net. And I will see about getting that created and coded and put up there and let you know. But uh, definitely lots of stuff up there. And pretty much every episode we've ever done is listed up there with maybe one, two exceptions at the most. But pretty much our entire Focus on Metal history is right there at focusonmetal.net on the history page and also on the main home page if you scroll down you'll see grouped together all of our Dio project with the Strange Highways album all of our Little Mountain Sound project is also all grouped together so if you wanted to listen to those one by one they're all there they're all available for you and uh, I figure when we finish the Kerrang! project I'll do a similar thing there as well but right now those ones aren't there. You're going to have to kind of leaf through the episodes page to find them. And of course, as always, our site, focusonmetal.blogspot.com, where we put all of the show notes for every show. If you didn't know that, there's a little entry up there on that website for each week with the artwork for the episode, as well as a description and maybe some videos or other things from the artist. So that's up there. And occasionally I'll be posting news events up there. Haven't really uh, been keeping up with that lately because i got lots of shit going on. But uh, usually when things are going well, I'm also putting out all kinds of metal press releases and such on focusonmetal.blogspot.com. And Facebook, if you want to uh, chat with Richie, he's always posting on Facebook, always responding to folks up there. He's up there every day. So uh, if you want to steer yourself to the Focus on Metal Facebook page, I'm sure that uh, Richie would be happy to uh, commiserate with you. And also we have our Twitter feed going which uh, you can usually find me on. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is, as they say, done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.